Bible, I would love for you to turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 2, the letter that Paul, yeah, I love them too. Y'all meet Jan right back there, okay? All right. All right, some of you adults need to sit back down. You're not that age right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, man. And the youth as well, I think. I think Rusty's got the youth. Okay. All right, where I was was this. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And I've been thinking a lot about... Uh, Obvious the things that are on our heart and mind, and, and uh, whether it's the coronavirus invasion and everything we're still, to a certain degree, dealing with, trying to navigate our way forward in that. And, and of course, now everything with all the uh, turmoil, all the unrest. And, uh, you know, I could probably open up God's Word here and begin to just share with you uh, in all these things, thus saith the Lord here, this is right, this is wrong. We, we can go through all those things. But see, I know the answer to, to America is what's happening in our lives. Those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, the answer is what is happening in our lives and whether or not we're translating that out into the spiritual darkness that is all around us. And that led me to... Uh, a study on Galatians 2.20. We're going to have a series of messages out of this one verse. And um, uh, I hope that it's going to help you because I believe that this one verse is maybe the most important verse for us who are now followers of Christ. Because what Paul does in this one verse is that though he uses the personal pronoun, uh, he puts in a net uh, in a nutshell, exactly what the life of a follower of Christ is supposed to look like, how it begins and how it is to unfold so that we can make a difference in this world. And so here's what he says as he's writing to the Christians in Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, meaning his earthly life, as he's finishing out his earthly life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit, not the whole verse today, but I want to get to the main focus of what this study is going to be about. So let's begin with how he starts. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, we know he was not one of the two thieves that were crucified with Christ that day on Calvary. We know that if he had had any crucifixion experience at all, he wouldn't even be writing this letter. So what does he mean when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ? Well, Paul answers that for us in a previous letter found in 2 Corinthians. And so let me just share that with you. You don't need to turn to it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, here is what Paul says. He says, and he, referring to God the Father, he made him, referring to Christ, the Son of the living God, who knew no sin. In other words, as you know, 
Christ was as perfectly holy and righteous and pure just as the Father in heaven. He has always been, he is, will forever be that perfectly just except for a very specific event that took place because the scripture says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is all of my sin of all of my life was placed on him when he was hanging on the cross of Calvary. But not just my sin, your sin. All of your sin of all of your life was also placed upon him when he was being crucified on the cross. Paul says in a letter to the Christians in Colossia, he says that uh, he took all of our sins and he nailed it with him on the cross. He nailed it with him on the cross, paying in full for all of our sins. And so there's a sense in which when Christ was on the cross, he was there as me. When Christ was on the cross, he was there as you, taking on all of my sin, all of your sin, so that he could pay for it in full. And so we can all say with Paul, that is, if you have received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I have been crucified with Christ because he was me on the cross paying for all of our sin. By the way, just as a, what I call a spiritual icing on the cake, so to speak, when you read this, this verse over in Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, that verb, I have been crucified, is in the present tense. What does the present, I mean, not present tense, but the perfect tense, what does that mean? That means that this is an action that's been completed and it never, ever, ever has to be done for me again. It means it is perfectly done, and it also means it is unchangeable and unchanging. And so the fact that I've been crucified, that my sin's been paid for in full, that is forever. Do I have an amen on that? Amen? And, and so Paul begins by saying how he became a child of God. I have been crucified with Christ. But then he adds something uh, addition to that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And then he says, and it is no longer I who lives. Well, what does that mean? Well, in terms of his religion, it meant that he was saying, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about me carrying the burden. I want you to listen carefully to this. It's no longer about me carrying the burden of being good enough or carrying the burden of trying to keep the law of God to a point where maybe God will accept me and in accepting me, then maybe I'll have eternal life. There's so many who have a confusion or are confused about uh, Christianity and confused about the reality of God and God and eternal life. And they think, if I can just be good enough, if I can just keep the law of God good enough, then maybe he will accept me and I can have eternal life. Well, what Paul is saying is, I no longer am under that burden. Why? Because it's all been crucified with Christ the cross of Calvary, and he has declared that I am now righteous. 
So from a religious standpoint, Paul is saying, I don't have to carry that burden no more. In terms of his regular life, he was saying this, and this is so incredibly important. He is saying, now that this has happened in my life, all my priorities have changed. All my purposes for living, they've changed. My perspective on everything in my life has now changed because it's no longer about me. It's about the one that was crucified for me. So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. And then he says this. He says, but Christ lives in me. Now, that's our focus. I want you to underline if you've got your Bibles open, if you've got your iPad or iPhone, highlight that. Christ lives in me. He doesn't simply say that Christ dwells in me. He says Christ is living in me. Christ lives in me. What does that mean? That means Christ is living his life through me. What does that look like? We're trying to answer the question, what does the life of a follower of Christ look like? And Paul says, here's what it looks like. You're crucified with Christ. Uh, it's no longer you trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. Your priorities now change. Your purposes have changed. Your perspective on everything has now changed because now Christ is living his life through you. I'm going to give you a statement here, and hopefully over the next four or five weeks I can unpack this and unfold this where maybe you can wrap your mind around it like I'm seeking to wrap my mind around it and fully understanding my life and that is this Christianity is not so much about living for Jesus it's about allowing Jesus to live his life through us Christianity is not so much about living our lives for Jesus as it is about allowing Jesus to live his life through us. Christ lives in me. But then we have to ask this question. What does that look like? Christ living his life through me, what does that look like? Well, to answer that question, you got to go to the Gospels and kind of get an understanding of Christ during his earthly life and what was important to Christ in his earthly life. And, of course, he had his mission. We know that. But in addition to that, what was, what was behind this mission? And I can sum it up with one word, relationships. In fact, three very specific relationships, and this is what we're going to explore together. His relationship with the Father, his relationship with his followers, and his relationship with the faithless, those who did not know God but desperately needed God, obviously, in their life. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at everything to his mission, listen to me carefully, his mission, his ministry, his miracles were all about his relationship with his father, his relationship with his followers, and his relationship with the faithless, those who did not know God but desperately 
needed God, obviously, in their lives. Now, taking that, I want to begin today to unfold it in terms of how that's translated into our relationship with God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, take your Bibles. We're going to move away from Galatians 2 for just a moment. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3, and we're going to focus on verses 13 through 15. I'm just using this as an incident in the life of Christ where he is calling out his disciples, and I want to use this as an illustration to begin to explain to you about the importance of our relationship with God the Father through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this together, I want to, I want to start where this verse starts, and that is that this relationship begins, it begins with an invitation from God. So what do you mean by that? God is the one who always takes the initiative. It's not us. Scripture says we don't even seek God at all. You say, well, I think back to the time I come to know Christ and I can say this and I was wanting this and I was looking at this and I was seeking that. Yeah, the reason was because God was drawing you. He had already taken the initiative and he was drawing you. It always begins with God and then we're responding back to him. So it begins with the invitation from God and we see this in this incident in the life of Christ. So let's look at the first part of verse 13, Mark 3, 13. And it says, and he, referring to Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. Now, what I want you to see is this word summoned. Because the word summoned doesn't simply mean calling out. In other words, this wasn't a picture of Jesus going up on the mountain and said, hey guys, hey guys, come on up here with me. It's pretty cool up here. Come over here and just join me up here. That, that's not what the word summoned meant. The word he used here, summon, meant a very special invitation to participate with him, to have a personal relationship with him. Disciples understood this, that he wasn't going to say, hey, come up here and, and we're going to have a good time for a while up here on top of the mountain. No, this was a very, this word meant, I want you, I'm inviting you to come and have a relationship with me and through the relationship you have with me, there is a mission we want to fill. A mission the Father has given to me and a mission that I'm going to give to you. So it was a very special invitation. If you're here and you are a follower of Christ, you have received that type of invitation to commit your life to Christ by receiving him as your personal Lord and Savior that you might enter into a personal, loving relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand how important that is because everything involved in the life of Christ when he was here on earth came out of the overflow of a love relationship he had with his father. Jesus said on many occasions, the son can do nothing. That's exactly what he says. I can't do anything. I do all things through my father. He even says the father is in me. 
That's all I only say what he tells me to say. I only do what he tells me to do. Everything about his mission, everything about his ministry, everything about his miracles came from the overflow of this incredible love relationship Christ had here on earth with the Father who is in heaven. And now Christ is inviting us into a love relationship with him and it's going to be out of the overflow of this relationship. It's going to help us live our lives on mission for God. Let's look at this. Every invitation has to be accepted. Amen? Every invitation. So it says here in... Verse 13 says, he went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. And it says, and they came to him. They accepted the invitation. This wasn't just, again, this wasn't just an invitation for this little event they were having. This was an invitation that was going to move them into a journey for the rest of their life. They knew that. And they accepted that. And they moved into this relationship. Now, it is this relationship that for the next four or five weeks, I want you to focus on in your life. When I ask people, how would you describe Christianity? Followers of Christ. Someone asks you, what is Christianity? What did you say? Most of the time, their focus is on performance. Well... Because I'm a follower of Christ, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this other. Well, doing those things are important, okay. Not doing those things, pretty wise, obviously. But that's not what we need to focus on. Above everything else, please listen to me. Because I think we've messed up through the years. It's about this relationship, this personal relationship, because everything about our lives as followers of Christ comes out of the overflow of this relationship. A relationship that began by an invitation from God, but a relationship that must be built by having intimate time with God. Watch this. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the very first part of verse 14. It begins with an invitation from God built on our intimate time with God. It says in verse 14, it says, and he appointed the 12, he set them aside so that he appointed, he set them apart. Listen to this carefully. And here's the reason he did it, so that they would be with him. Underline that. They would be with him. He didn't do it the Baptist way. Praise the Lord. In other words, here's what he didn't say. Help you understand what I'm trying to get across. 
He said, hey guys, wow, I'm glad you accepted this invitation and you're going to be part and we have this relationship and we're going to have this mission, we're going to work together. So I tell you what, in about a week or so, we're going to get together again, maybe a month or so, and we're going to build on this relationship and talk more about the mission and then we'll set up another time down the road. No, he said, I am setting you apart. I want you with me every single day. So I can pour my life into you. Why? Because it's going to be out of the overflow of my pouring my life into you that you can be of any effect in helping me in this mission. That's why this relationship, this personal love relationship with Christ is so incredibly important above everything else. We talk about doing ministry, so important. We talk about the mission, very important. But above all that, if we're not building intimate time with the Lord where he can pour his life into us, we're not going to be very effective in our lives. So let me just use this as an illustration. 44 years ago, she's giving me the look back there, but 44 years ago, I proposed to this beautiful lady back here We'll be celebrating 44, 43 years of marriage together on June 24th. So let's suppose that when I proposed to her, this was my approach. Kathy, I love you. I still do, by the way. <laughs> Kathy, I love you. And I want us to have this personal relationship as husband and wife. I want us to get married. Will you marry me? And, and just understand that when we get married, this is the way it's going to look. After we get married, I'm going to come by and see you on Sunday mornings. We're going to spend a couple hours together. We're going to have a great time because I'm going to, I'm going to thank you for all the good things that, that you're doing. And, and, and I'm going to rejoice over you. And I'm going to tell you I love you. And, and we're just going to have an awesome time together. And there'll be sometimes I might even pop in later that day back on Sunday night for a little time. And you're going to be surprised, but every once in a while, I'm going to come by in the middle of the week and just spend about an hour of time with you. And this is the way it's going to be. I'll, I'll come by on Sunday and, and maybe Sunday night and occasionally on Wednesday and, and just know that any other time that I come by, it's when I really, really, really need something, so I'm coming by for you to help me. Now, why do you, don't you even answer this. What do you think she would have said? Forget it, right? That's no relationship. You okay? I'm just checking. You were just kind of like going, ooh. Does that remind you of anything? 
Do you get a, a picture of something else that I'm talking about? Is that not the way we have a tendency to deal with our personal love relationship with Christ? Now, now why am I emphasizing this? And I'm going to build on this as we go next week, but... I want you to look at a verse with me, John chapter 15. And I know, guys, I skipped a couple up there. I realize that. Don't worry about it. John chapter 15, verse 5. I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You do realize that a branch has no power to produce fruit. Branch does not produce fruit. Branches bear the fruit that's produced by the vine. So here's what he says. You're the branch. You have no power to produce the fruit. I am the vine. I am the source of the power of producing fruit in your life. So it says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, circle that word abide, that is intentionally is building uh, this intimate relationship with, with God the Father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you abide in me and I in him, he, he says, that person bears much fruit. And he adds this, are you listening? Don't miss it. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason I can say that Christianity is not about me living for Christ because I can't. You can't because we're branches. But we do have a connection with the vine, which is Christ. It's a personal love relationship with the vine, and so when I am intentionally and personally just focused on building that relationship, particularly in terms of the status of the fellowship of that relationship, that is going to determine the fruit that is in my life for Christ. You with me? Say amen. Begin to get an understanding of how important this is because unless Christ is in me, living his life through me, I can do nothing. Just like Jesus says, the Father is in me, and without him, I can do nothing. In like manner. And so our number one focus, oh, listen to this. The number one focus is not performance. The 
Number one focus is that personal relationship and building it. Building that relationship. Making sure that, that the Lord is free because you're giving him the time. You're giving him your life for him to pour his life in you so he can live his life through you. He's the vine. Now, let me just close with this. Back to Galatians 2, um, not Galatians, Mark chapter 3. I want you to see this, and I'm going to close with this. He says, he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. That simply is to make known. So he'd send them to make known who he was and to have authority to cast out demons. That is, have victory over spiritual darkness. Now listen to me. I'm going to close with this. Close where I started. We have the answer. There is not a bill they can pass. There's not a law they can sign into existence. There's no policies that they can come up with that's going to fix America. It's not going to happen. The answer is us. Here's my fear, and I believe this all in my heart, and I say this out of love. We're not ready. Spiritually, I would say most, quote unquote, followers of Christ are straw men, straw ladies. We're not spiritually strong enough. If we were, can you show me where we're making a difference right now? I mean, if you can, praise God. Yeah, there are people getting sick. I, I get that through the virus and all that, but if the church doesn't rise up in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ living his life through us, this is not going to stop. It's going to continue to expand. We're the answer in Christ to the spiritual darkness that's, that has come upon us. But if we're not focused on building that personal relationship so that God can put, because listen, everything, our witness, our walk, our worship, everything comes out of the overflow of that relationship and what is happening in that relationship that we have with Christ because he's the vine and we're the branches. And so I want for the next four or five weeks just my hope is that you will be consumed with building a relationship. You have one if you know Christ but building that relationship so Christ can begin to live his life through you. So, Father God, as I come, I just, you know, my heart is heavy on one end and my heart is excited on the other. My 
heart is burdened for because of the spiritual darkness that's on our land and the way it's being manifested. I'm excited about the fact that if we can embrace the truth of your word and truly as the disciples commit our lives to you, receiving you as Lord and Savior and building and building and building on that relationship, then out of the overflow, you will produce fruit through us that will make a difference in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. So take these nuggets of truth, rivet them into our heart, and keep teaching us, Lord, from your word. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. I'm not dismissing you by groups. You're adults. You know what to do. All right? Good to have you.